You are entering the Freedom Hut. So Trump clarifies a little bit what he had to say to Putin in Helsinki. But guess what? The media is still so freaked out. They are saying it's the the equivalent of 9-11 Pearl Harbor and the Inquisition all wrapped into one. It's not true, of course. They just hate the president, looking for a way to undermine him. We'll talk about the way forward from here. And also, we're joined by Andy McCarthy from National Review and Judge Jeanine Pirro with some fantastic legal analysis of that Mueller probe. That and more coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I realize that there is a need for some clarification. It should have been obvious. I thought it would be obvious, but I would like to clarify just in case it wasn't. In a key sentence in my remarks, I said the word would instead of wouldn't. The sentence should have been, I don't see any reason why I wouldn't or why it wouldn't be Russia. So just to repeat it, I said the word would instead of wouldn't. And the sentence should have been, and I thought it would be maybe a little bit unclear on the transcript or unclear on the actual video. The sentence should have been, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be Russia. Sort of a double negative. So you can put that in, and I think that probably clarifies things pretty good by itself. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. That was President Trump. Just a little bit before we went on air, giving a press conference today. People are calling it a walk back. You can call it a clarification. But he's given a little additional detail on the uh, pre- on, on what he said at that press conference in Helsinki. And here's why this is so this is so classic Trump. And people are going to say a lot of things about this. Like, why did it take 24? If it was a clarification about a word, why would it take 24 hours to clarify that? For example, where was the White House comms team on that? I I know what everyone's going to say. Here's Trump's version of this. He figures he knows what or rather he believes that people know what he was trying to say and why he was saying what he was saying. And if it's going to make people feel a little bit better about the situation, he'll say, yeah, okay, fine. I believe the intel agencies. I get it. You know, America on the world stage. This wasn't the best messaging to send. But bottom line, I still think that there's a weird deep state cabal that tried to undermine my election. And I'm sick of these punks. And the collusion thing is a joke. And it's nonsense. Trump out. Like, that's kind of that's kind of what he's saying. That's his version of it. You know, okay, I'll say I changed the word. And, you know, now we're now is everyone happy? Is everybody happy now? They feel better now. They everyone going to calm down over this. By the way, the, the answer is, of course, no. All right, we'll get to some of that. They're not going to calm down. I've I have heard some of the craziest stuff in the last 24 hours uh, in terms of political analysis. I, I, people are I, I'm actually starting to get worried about them. Like, I don't know how they sleep at night being so worked up over something that affects them. Not at all. And that is, in the grand scheme of things, actually so very, very minor. And I'm seeing all this other stuff now. All these experts are saying, well, policy doesn't matter. It's the words that matter. Oh, okay. So now now we're in, 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 a, in a world with Donald Trump. I just want to be very clear. If you oppose Trump, you're willing to now take the position that 
Words speak louder than actions. Well, isn't that perfect? Isn't that very Orwellian for this particular era? And isn't it then fitting that Trump fights back with his own Orwellian twist of, okay, I I said would, I should have said wouldn't, or not wouldn't have instead of wouldn't not have, or whatever it is that he's doing. He's like, all right, fine, we're going to play this game, we'll play this game. It's going to drive them nuts. He sends a signal to all of us who are saying, as I did yesterday, there's some stuff I didn't like, some stuff in the press conference, a little bit, Donald, a little bit, a little bit off. But overall, no big deal. And I get what he's saying, and everyone understands, and the media was baiting him with all these questions. They wanted him to just spit in Putin's face, which would be idiotic. There's so much stupidity coming from the media and all this stuff. They're all, they're just such a bunch of glorified hall monitors. About, oh, he said this, and he said this, and he said that, and... Yeah, okay, you know, we, we, we get it. We heard it, okay? We, we know. On the big lies, Benghazi wasn't a terrorist attack. If you like your health care plan, you can keep your health care plan. You know, go, to, go, down the, go down a list of lies that actually matter to you in your day-to-day life or should matter to the American people in their day-to-day lives. Uh, media was MIA on most of that. You know, not, not really a lot of attention paid. They say, oh, Buck, we covered it. Yeah, I know you covered it, but you covered it. Oh, this racist... This raises troubling questions. Whenever it's a Democrat, this, let me tell you some of the tells, some of the giveaways. When media doesn't like something a Democrat does, but it's a Democrat, they'll say things like, oh, well, it raises troubling questions. Troubling questions have been raised by this. This makes us uncomfortable. There are issues that stem from it. When a Republican does something Democrats don't like, it's 9-11 all over again. Oh, my gosh. This is bloodier than Caesar's conquest of Gaul. I mean, they're really, they lose their minds. And then when you say, well, you know, I think your coverage, like, oh, no, no, we covered both. We covered both. As if the words and the intensity and the seriousness of the coverage don't matter at all. So they get all fixated on this thing with Trump yesterday about the intelligence agencies. And as I said to you, and actually I did a, a buck wild today at, at Hill.TV on this one. Do we really think it's weird that Trump has a little bit of a, sour taste in his mouth when it comes to the intel agencies they've all come out as partisan hacks against him my community my former community where i was trained and and learned the craft of intelligence will never be the same because of all these hacks from the obama administration people say oh buck but they're lifelong public servants no 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 they were essentially democrat sleeper agents the whole time folks that's what's really going on here don't we see it it's just that with Obama gone, after eight years of Obamaism, and now everybody's on Twitter, everybody's a pundit, now we see who these people really are. Brennan didn't just become a leftist yesterday. There's so much stupid argument out there. Brennan voted for a communist decades ago. Who does that? Who does that? I wouldn't even let him into the CIA. Never, let, never mind, let him run it. He's saying it's a treason. And that's a very serious charge. I would also point out that treason can be punishable by death. So when people keep saying that, you know, that's the charge that they're applying here, what, what, are, they, what are they getting at? You know, tre- treason is a, is a capital crime, folks, under U.S. federal code. So throwing that charge around is not something to be taken lightly. And they are straight, they're straight up calling a botched press conference treason. It wasn't even botched that badly, by the way. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it wasn't great. Messed up a little bit, but it wasn't like a big deal. And also, it just gave us a 24-hour period of, you know, if the Democrats were serious people, I keep coming back to this notion of serious versus unserious, 
Okay, they are deeply unserious, as we see from Ocasio-Cortez, for example, who thinks that because people have two jobs, there's lower levels of unemployment now. The future of the Democratic Party, everybody, doesn't know something that an eighth grader should know about the economy and how we measure unemployment. But future, future, never mind her. Yeah, like Israel and Palestine and like, I mean, the occupation of Palestine and Israel and the, just the stuff and the things and future of the Democratic Party. There you go. But I mean, they want to lecture us on, oh, we need people that are more, you know, that have more policy chops. Oh, OK, that's fun. That's a fun conversation to have. You notice how quickly they swept that whole interview out of the way for Ocasio-Cortez. Back to Trump. I'm not, I'm not trying to trying to divert from this. We're, we're going to work through this one together. By the way, we've got our friend Andy McCarthy joining a little bit. He's going to talk about the arrest of a Russian national in D.C. that barely, I mentioned on the show yesterday, barely even got covered. I'm arrested as an agent of influence. Trumped up stuff, by the way, from what I can see so far. Uh, it's just, we are, in, we are living in a new red scare, except we need to come up with a new term for it because they're not communists, right? But there, but there is a, there is a, a, Fever swamp mentality among the Democrats now for anything Russia related. And that's why when I bring up things uh, like, hey, you know, China has actually been a bigger is a bigger conventional military threat, a bigger cyber threat, a bigger economic rival, um, more damaging to our economy, more serious, a, a foe on the world stage. They go, why, why is it always about China? We can walk and chew gum at the same time. OK, yeah, but when it comes to Putin, you, you just want our president to to just go to go crazy and 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 yell at him and do all these things. You know, Obama himself was clear on the point that you, you can't really do very much about it. What are you going to do? You're going you're to shame the president of Russia because they ran this. It was basically an intel operation, not a particularly big one and not a very sophisticated one either. Not important enough for Obama to raise the alarm about it. You know, this is a, there's there's so much hypocrisy with them on this. If it was such a big deal then what does it say about the Democrats that they were willing to, when they were in charge of government, when they were in charge of national security with the Obama administration calling the shots, they were going to let this whole Russia intrusion, oh, undermining our democracy, oh, they were going to let it slide because Hillary was going to win. Do you, do you, would you let something, you know, would you let something slide because of that? Do you think that's a, 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 a if it were the equivalent of nine, would you let nine eleven slide if you thought it was going to help your political? No. Well, they're saying that stuff. They're out there going completely nuts. I mean, here, play, this this will give you a sense of where they are in all this. Play six. FBI director continues the investigation. Department of Justice continues support for the investigation. Congress continues saying that this investigation is legitimate. Curious point in American government, when do we see almost a shadow government come out and say, we cannot side with the government, whether it's the cabinet or the Senate? I think that's the big question. And I agree with an earlier speaker. It's time for Americans to be out on the streets. We are under attack from Russia. If there were physical missiles, like during the yes. Cuban missile, missile crisis, Americans would be in the streets and protesting and asking for the president to protect us. These are invisible missiles. These are digital missiles. These people are insane. Invisible missiles? We're talking about Facebook accounts that are saying things like MAGA and, and, and lock her up about Hillary. Basically parroting commonplace American political discourse during the election. D digital missiles? I guess for the, the snowflake 
ism of the left, and I, I guess because they believe that words they don't like equal violence, maybe they are kind of like digital missiles, but it's only because they're crazy. No normal person would say these things. I, I will tell you, I had here today on set, uh, you'll remember him for his Purple Heart comment, which he already had to walk back, but Representative Cohen of, I believe, Tennessee. And I was interviewing him today here in the swamp because I get a lot of I, a lot of swamp creatures now coming come past the hut. So I get to interview them. And I asked him, and we don't have the audio because I didn't ask for it, but here's the gist of it. I said, so what, what should we do? People go, oh, my gosh, and digital missiles. And you got, you got Phil Mudd, who's a former you know, intel guy himself over at CNN, yelling about how a shadow government should rise up. Uh, excuse me, dude, I'm pretty sure it already did, and it didn't work. And that's why they're so angry. And that's why they won't stop. You got to think, if you're Brennan, if you're Comey, if you're Clapper, if you're some of these guys who, who knows what they really did, what they really said, and the lengths they went to to stop Trump from being elected, the only way you maintain any sense of your reputation and, and your own sense of your, your, I guess, your ethics is if Trump is a, a clear and present danger of the United States. They're very invested in that narrative. You have to think, why are they so invested in it? They must have taken action under the premise that he was a clear and present danger, and he's not. So what does that mean about what they did? But, but I, I asked Cohen, I mentioned this, I asked Cohen in Nashville, I said, so, so what should we do to respond? And he said, because he said this is an act of war. I said, well, that's, that's a cute phrase to throw around. That's, that's got some really serious implications, though. How should we respond? Sitting congressman, sitting member of the Democrat uh, Party and, and Judiciary Committee, by the way. So, you know, not, not just some slouch out of nowhere. What should we do because of these this this terrible intrusion undermining our democracy, which is just a, a fatuous phrase to begin with? He said we should we should uh, engage in an act of war in response. I said, well, what do you mean? Well, we should hack Russia's banking sector and shut it down, shut it all down. I'm looking at this guy and for the first time, I actually had a Democrat staring at me who's saying we should invite the prospect of real war with Russia because Hillary didn't win the election and the Russians put up some Facebook accounts that were fake and got into Podesta's email account. These people need help. Have they learned nothing? Were were all of their anti-war poses in the past just about being anti-American? Yes, is the answer to that, by the way. You know, what is this? Russia is not the economic power it was. It's not the military power it was. But it still has a few thousand nuclear weapons. We're going to start playing chicken with them over this? Over, uh, you know, a razor-thin election margin that we're going to pretend was influenced by... I mean, if the Russians were able to pull off turning the election, they would be the most incredible PR geniuses... You know, this is like the equivalent of somebody saying, hey, I'm going to take on Apple computers. I got $100. Who's with me? I got $100. Come on, I can do it, right? Steve Jobs got nothing on me. People think you're crazy. That's what the Russians did in equivalent with this operation. And the Democrats are basically saying, let's go to war with Russia over it. They have lost their minds. I really mean this. And that's why Trump trolling them a little bit today amuses me. I think it's good. He clarifies the point. We'll get into this some more in a moment. As you can see, I'm a little fired up about this. Stay with me. It's just as serious to me as the Cuban Missile Crisis in terms of an attack or the 9-11 attack. 
the president is taking the side of the people who attacked us instead of trying to prevent a future attack. He has done nothing to make sure that the elections four months away are going to be safe. And I would say that his performance today will live in infamy as much as the Pearl Harbor attack or Kristallnacht. So that was a former Watergate prosecutor they put on TV to make a jackass of herself. Not the only one. A lot of people running around just just be clowning themselves. Honk, honk, clown, clown, all over the place. I have not seen anything like this in quite some time. Politico magazine with a big feature by Mark Hurtling, a general whom I remember from CNN from being on segments with him. But I thought to myself, wow, some generals just aren't smart. And the piece here in Politico is Putin's attack on the U.S. is our Pearl Harbor. Hmm. That's a piece that this guy, who was a general, wrote. Okay? Does anyone want to try to defend that? This is our Pearl Harbor, folks. That's what that's the stuff that they're saying. Just and just because apparently not a lot of folks on the left and the general the one or you know, they always have like one or two military guys, because you know, as we know, most military people are conservative. Anyway, they have one or two that'll just go along with whatever the left says, right? Because somebody's writing the checks to them. They're former military, of course, right? They're out. Uh, but because they don't seem to spend much time looking at a real historical comparison here they're going to say that what happened with russian meddling in the election remember we're talking facebook accounts twitter accounts and a phishing scam that hit a couple of email accounts okay they're going to compare that to uh 2400 people killed during pearl harbor over 1100 wounded and then pearl harbor by the way launched a war that cost 400,000 plus american lives 600,000 wounded World War II cost 60 million people their lives. They're, they're going to make this comparison? I mean, Kristallnacht, hundreds of people died. Synagogues were uh, were, were burned down. Uh, dozens and dozens of synagogues burned down. They're going to they're gonna talk about this seriously? These are real comparisons? Kristallnacht, of course, a harbinger of the Holocaust. How do these people take themselves seriously? They shouldn't. They're unserious. They're not. They're, it's not just a question of they have bad judgment. They just look dumb. The people writing this stuff and saying this stuff, they just look like they are not very smart people. But they're still on TV, and somehow we're supposed to act like they are smart? I'm sorry, I'm not playing along. There are differences in in their testimony. In many cases, she admits... Uh, that the text messages mean exactly what they say as opposed to Agent Strzok um, who thinks that we've all misinterpreted his own words on any text message that might be negative. Well, there's a news story you haven't heard much about. Remember that the paramour of Peter Strzok, that now generally I think considered disgraced FBI uh, counterintelligence agent who was involved in that exchange of text messages, as well as very important investigations of Hillary Clinton's emails and the Russia collusion situation. Lisa Page testified, uh, well, we've got that and some other important legal stories to get to that have been, I think, consumed so far or pushed aside by the news cycle. Uh, we've got Andy McCarthy with us now, the one and only. You all know him from National Review, where he's a senior writer. Also, Fox News, where he's a contributor doing the best stuff on legal analysis out there. Andy, great to have you back. Buck, always a pleasure. So just, I know there's not a ton on this Lisa Page thing, but it does seem noteworthy that the Republicans are saying, well, at least she says what she writes is what she means, or what she wrote is what we think it is. Yeah, Buck, for once I'm encouraged by 
silence. I, I, I wish we had more of it. Um, but it sounds to me like what, what seems to be going on with Ms. Page is what you would hope would go on in most investigations that involve interviewing witnesses behind closed doors, which is there's an agreement that they're not going to leak the substance of what she says, uh, and there isn't any caterwauling, apparently, from either side about it. And the one thing that we're hearing is that she's apparently more forthcoming than uh, Peter Strzok was, that she concedes that the uh, she concedes the obvious, which which shows uh, a measure of sophistication these days. Uh, that you know what what was said in the uh, the freewheeling texts uh, is an accurate reflection that the texts mean what they say. And the the one disturbing thing that I heard that has come out, which doesn't have to do with the substance of her testimony. Uh, is that she was not made aware that the uh, that the Congress wanted to speak to her? So evidently, the uh, the committees let the Justice Department and the FBI know some time ago uh, that they would like to have a interview with her, like they've been having with other witnesses. And they, according to her, at least from what we report, from what's reported, the uh, department did not pass that information along to her, which is disturbing. I, I can tell you. As a former prosecutor, I always agreed in any trial, but especially like organized crime trials or racketeering trials, terrorism trials, I always agreed to accept service for the government's witnesses because you don't want to have a situation where, you know, people are getting accosted by process service and stuff like that. It's it's really irresponsible if that happened, that they didn't. So, that, so that, that's at a minimum a, a mess up. Is there any more... Is there any other reason for it, Andy, or just bureaucratic screw-up? I Well, it, it's impossible, Buck, I think, not to look at it in the context of everything else we've seen, where the FBI and the Justice Department have slow-walked disclosure, have refused to comply with uh, subpoenas, have redacted documents in a nonsensible way, and have conducted themselves overall in a way that I think an objective person could assume that they're slow walking this, hoping the Democrats win the midterms and that the committee chairs change over to Democrats and the investigation goes away. I mean, that's what I was thinking, but I wanted to hear the legal expert actually weigh in on it. So there we go, folks. Now, Andy, there's another big, yeah. another, I mean, you know, that's going to make sense law, to me. The law can just, the law can just screw us up here, Buck. Yeah, go I guess so. Sense. Uh, so, you know, Andy, there's another big story out there that, it, well, it would be a lot bigger if we hadn't just had the uh, the press conference in Helsinki, which a lot of us are just going to kind of hope to move on past from. Uh, and, and that is this story of Maria Butina, a 29 year old Russian woman living here in Washington, D.C., have not had the chance to uh, rub elbows with Ms. Butina at a bar or anything yet, folks. So I can't tell you anything that about you her. Know of. Yeah, not that I know of, correct. I mean, she might be <laughs> under some other alias or something. But Maria Butina, who is supposed to be studying at American University, has been arrested by federal prosecutors for uh, not registering as a foreign agent and for essentially being an agent of influence. Andy, what the heck is this all about? Well, you know, Buck, it, it happens that back in January, which the way our news cycles go today feels like a thousand years ago, um, I actually wrote a column about Maria Butina. Uh, because the, the press was trying to drum her up at the time as, uh, as what I called collusion 3.0. Uh, 
you know, the, the Carter Page theory didn't work, and then they went to the Papadopoulos theory, and it seemed to me that Butina was, was 3.0, the idea being, it, in a nutshell, that um, she was using the NRA uh, as a potential conduit uh, between the, <laughs> I mean, it's hard to wrap your brain around this, between the Trump campaign and the Russian regime, and there may have been exchanges of money and, and uh, that kind of thing to defeat the um, to help Russia, Russia using the NRA to defeat the uh, the prescriptions against foreign interference in campaigns and, and the like. Um, and I, I think the one thing that we can say about this that's significant is the fact that this is not part of Mueller's investigation. So it would seem to me that this is yet another angle that's been floated as a potential collusion angle. Uh, and that turns out to be uh, a dry hole for those hoping that the smoking gun someday, some way, someplace will uh, emerge. Now, how much trouble would she be in here, Andy? I mean, this Maria Boutin is a Russian national. She didn't, I mean, she might have you know, not registered as a foreign agent, fair violation, which has also been a problem for General Flynn and others, but is usually not something that is right. prosecuted with, with a lot of seriousness or, or, or prosecuted at all. They usually right, give you the opportunity to make amends. Uh, they also are getting her on some kind of a conspiracy charge, a kind of broad sweeping conspiracy, I guess, against the U.S. government. But she didn't try to steal any secrets. She wasn't an espionage agent. Uh, so how much trouble is she in here? Well, you know, I, I, I don't think she has a criminal record. They, they don't look to me like overwhelming charges. She could be in a fair amount of trouble. It certainly does look like um, a Mueller slash Wiseman type uh, indictment in that they love this conspiracy against the United States charge, which I think is a really uh, troubling invention, uh, but they seem to use it uh, in every case. But it's, you know, it's the kind of charges that we've seen before that haven't previously been treated as crimes. Uh, And I think that, you know, if you're dealing with somebody who uh, hasn't, doesn't have an extensive criminal record and charges that are usually not brought or activity that's not usually treated as criminal. Uh, she's, she's probably not in a world of trouble. Uh, but I, I think, you know, in terms of the bigger picture for the country, as opposed to, to for her, I think the news of it is that she's, you know, that collusion angle is, uh, uh, is just not there. Andy, at this point, what kind of confidence do you have that the Mueller probe is, is is on the I mean, the I mean I mean Mueller himself and his actions that they're on the straight and narrow. Well, I've never thought they were on the uh, straight and narrow. I thought that Mueller personally uh, is a uh, uh, is a person who's scrupulous, at least in my experience. And I said that when he was appointed, I think he had a tin ear with the people that he recruited, and some of the things that have gone on in the investigation book, I think, have been very very troubling. I think the the fact of this indictment against these uh, Russians is very troubling because uh, it seems to me that's the kind of thing that we don't indict. It's the kind right, these, now these are the twelve. These are the twelve guys from last week for everybody listening. Uh, and I know you wrote a piece about this right. in National Review, Andy. Go ahead. Yeah, and I think this is the natural, logical consummation of their misuse of the counterintelligence authorities to do the investigation in the first place. Now they're indicting things that we're not supposed to indict because they're not. The, the when foreign agents, foreign officials 
commit aggressive acts against the United States, that's not a law enforcement issue. That There's other ways that we deal with that sort of thing. And it seems to me that Mueller is doing it because he figures he's got a free pass. These guys are never going to trial. So when there's an indictment that, that uh, uh, is for a case that's never going to happen, I always think that that's more of a press release than a charging instrument. Yeah, and Andy, uh, and as a I'm former dirty. Intel guy, this whole thing strikes me as, as almost as, as preposterous, quite honestly. We're going to tell the Russians, hey, assuming they were acting on Putin's orders, all right, they were doing the bidding of the Kremlin here, putting aside everything else about how, oh, it's a threat to our democracy, the notion that the Kremlin would hand over GRU agents for doing the Kremlin's bidding because we say so is is completely bonkers. This, I mean, we would yeah, never do that on our side. We would never hand over our no, people to another government. Bucket, I think it's worse. I mean, think about, and I agree with everything you just said uh, emphatically, but, but I just would add to it, think about when you were an Intel guy, how thrilled you would have been to hear that we're now suddenly changing the rules of the game so that uh, intelligence operatives and government officials of other governments pursuing the interests of their country are now going to be subject to arrest when the domestic politics of some country uh, (laughs) indicates that it's a good idea to charge them with a crime. Yeah, it's a non-starter. It's a nightmare. No way. Yeah, I think it's really bad. I mean, considering that our government is more active in the world than any other government on Earth, it really seems to me that it's, it's a very reckless thing to change the rules of the game this way. And to do it for what seems to me to be nothing but, but, but nakedly political purposes and to justify the existence of Mueller's investigation, I, I, I just think it's a, a reckless thing to do. Do you have any sense of, of how much longer we have to suffer through this, this you know, national uh, water torture of just drip, 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 trying to figure out what's going on here with Mueller? Do you have any, any sense, Andy, of how much longer we have to go through this? Buck, you know, for the first time, I'm getting a sense that it, it may actually be winding down, because I really think the the upside of that indictment, if if there is one, is that the logic of it is that there can't be the kind of a collusion case that that was fantasized over from the start, and it does seem to me that this flurry of activity, which they're clearly trying to do before the uh, 2018 midterms get into their kind of uh, stretch run, uh, it looks to me like. He, he's trying to wrap up. Perhaps he's decided that there's no uh, conspiracy to commit espionage against the Trump people. Uh, I've, I've thought all along that the uh, obstruction thing was legally nonsense. Uh, and if there's no case to pursue against President Trump except to write a report that the, you know, the House can use for whatever it wants to use it for, uh, it, it may be that he's actually trying to get this thing wrapped up. And if he if he is, I think that would be for all the other things that have been said, it would be a credit to Mueller if he realizes that his investigation is doing damage to the ability of this government to function and he needs to wrap it up. Andy, if one last thing before we let you go, and everyone should read Andy's latest at nationalreview.com. Also, you'll see him on Fox News. Just watch Fox. Uh, Andy, if if the president came to you after the end of this whole thing and said, all right, Andy, do you recommend of all the people caught up in this Mueller thing, is there anyone you recommend that I pardon? Which we all know he could do. Is there anyone that is there anyone well, that you would drop as a name? Yeah, I've said flatly and publicly, I think uh, General Flynn should be pardoned. 
And I think it's, it's terrible, but that the politics of, of things are such that he can't be pardoned this minute, because I don't think his pardon, I don't think it should have awaited his indictment. Uh, but I, I certainly think under all the circumstances, given that the FBI didn't think the agents who interviewed him didn't think that he lied, he didn't do anything wrong. They pursued him on a preposterous Logan Act theory, and his prosecution was, to my mind, uh, blatantly political. I think he should already have been pardoned, and I've certainly pardoned. I pardoned General Flynn yesterday. All right. Well, I agree with you. So there's that. I didn't know Andy took that position publicly, but I agree with him. No surprise there. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, come back soon. Buck, my pleasure. Take care, pal. All right, team. Uh, we've got a lot more coming up, including uh, Judge Janine is going to be joining us. Woo! That's going to be a party. Get excited for that one. You all know Judge Janine from Fox News. He's got a lot of legal eagles on the show tonight. We'll be right back. All right, we got a call from Patrick in Wabash, Indiana. Hey, Patrick. Yes, uh, um, Andy McCarthy uh, swerved into what I'm going to talk about. Uh, The Mueller uh, um, fishing expedition has told us that the Russian collusion, supposedly with Trump, didn't change one vote. Unlike the Democrats in Detroit... I heard this on WOW News that um, the Democrats got all of the votes in certain precincts. But even worse than that, they got more votes than there were people in the precinct. Yeah, well, they tell us that there's, Patrick, that they claim there's no voter fraud, right? They say voter Uh fraud doesn't exist. And then I say, well, why are people going to prison Every every year for voter fraud, and they say, okay, well, there's some voter fraud, but it's not that much. You know, they're they're dishonest about that. And uh, on the Mueller probe, and Patrick, thank you for calling in from Indiana. On the on the Mueller probe, look, they're they're uh, they're dug in, folks. You just said, and Andy's a very fair-minded guy, very knowledgeable, but also very fair-minded. You know, I, I've you you've those of you been listening to the show for a while know I've tried to push him. Andy, you know, come on, are these guys? What's going on? What's going on? I really want to know, and I really want his his assessment of it. Not I'm not asking for him to you know preach to the choir, and you know he said he he him and I have had disagreements. He thought that uh, you know Patrick Fitzgerald, for example, back in the day was uh, you know a guy who was pretty on the up and up, and I felt like Fitzgerald was a political headhunter. So and Andy and I we've disagreed on some of this stuff, but you heard what he said from the Mueller probe. He's like, this is just. This is just out of control. And, you know, when Andy says it, I, re- I really think you can take it to the bank because if he believed, you know, he wrote a piece on National Review. He's saying, look, I think Trump's Helsinki summit was ill-conceived and ill-executed. So, you know, he, he'll call, he calls balls and strikes, but he also says the Mueller probe is, this is a travesty, folks. It's an injustice. It really is at this point. And it's, it's harming the country. You know, it's not to our benefit to have this be the situation. So we got some more on this. Judge Janine's going to be joining in the next hour. We've also got the return of President Obama. I missed her. I got things I got to tell you. I want to lecture you. I got to talk to you. Uh, so Obama's going to be back. We'll have some interesting conversations about that, though. And then third hour, by the way, we're going to revisit that story about how the Papa John's founder got uh, booted out of his company for the racial slur. There's an update on that I think is worth our time. And uh, I've got some other stuff, including the governor. 
weighing in on international politics. That's right, Arnold Schwarzenegger himself. So, third hour is going to be amazing, too. When you're at work, you know your dogs are running around, they're cooped up inside all day. So, when you get home, I get it. You want to let them burn off a little energy, run around the yard and all that. But guess what? The pup can get under your fence, right? The fence only goes so far to the ground. You want to never think about this problem again. Dig Defense is your answer. It solves the problem of dogs getting under the fence to get out of your yard by digging. Or predators, by the way. Foxes, raccoons, scary little suckers. They can get under the fence, too, and come after your dogs. You don't want that either. Dig Defense takes care of all of it. It's so easy to install. All you need is a hammer and a pair of gloves. So if you have pets digging under the fence, check out Dig Defense right now. It's available online at Lowe's, Menards, Wayfair, and StopTheDig.com. Again, it is your solution to pets digging under the fence at StopTheDig.com. Dig Defense, available online right now. Check it out for yourself. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One Make, Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Who are the people that started this? James Clapper, who lied to the Senate, said they weren't collecting our information, and yet they were collecting all of our information and housing it in Utah. John Brennan has now accused... Let me finish. John Brennan has now accused the president of treason. This is John Brennan, who voted for the Communist Party when he was a young man. John Brennan now thinks he's holier than everybody else. But these people had the power to collect every American's information. And these are the people All that right. I am concerned use their bias against President Trump. And absolutely, I'm with the president on this. The intelligence community was full of biased people, including Peter Strzok, right. McCabe, and dozens of others. High five for Rand Paul, everybody. Why is he the only one that really sees this for what it is? Why is he the only Republican that will stand up and point out what really matters here, which is the effort to destroy the Trump administration from former government officials, including the most senior intelligence officials in the United States government, who, by the way, were using their government position to fabricate the collusion narrative that they are now tweeting about and punditing about on the various cable networks. Why just, why only Rand Paul? Everyone else running scared for cover. You know, say what you will about Democrats, and I say a lot. But you'll notice how they take care of their own. And Republicans love to play the holier-than-thou game. Mitch McConnell... Mitch McConnell had things to say. Indisputable evidence. Here's what here's what the GOP Senate Majority Leader had to say about stuff. Play clip twenty. The annexation of Crimea, the invasion of Eastern Ukraine. Not to mention the indisputable evidence that they tried to impact the twenty sixteen election. So make no mistake about it. No mistake. I would say to our friends in Europe. Uh, we understand the Russian threat, and I think that is the widespread view here in the United States Senate among members of both parties. The Russian threat is greatly exaggerated right now. That's the truth. 
And I don't know why Mitch McConnell, every, everyone likes to do this thing. You know, they're all behind Trump until there's any resistance, there's any any issue. And then they're all just lining up to release statements, to release statements. You know, we don't need all your Republican statements trashing the president of the United States. OK, he gets it. He he clarified. He walked back. Whatever you want to say today wasn't a good press conference, but he's also got the entire press corps doing everything they can to just to ruin his presidency. And they hurt the country. They don't care who gets hurt in the process. They don't care who goes to prison. They don't care what this does to the American people, the American economy. They just want their way. They're like a bunch of frightening toddlers that have still way too much sway and authority in American society, and they're angry because they want their power back. Rand Paul seems to get it. And why is he the only one who's calling out the fact that there is a deep state? I remember when people were talking about the deep state like it was some crazy conspiracy and now, what do we call it when senior government officials were working to undermine an incoming presidency in this country? What do you call that? What do we call the FISA warrants against Carter Page? Laughable stuff. I mean, this is crazy. Going after Carter Page? He's the center of some international conspiracy to are these people. I mean, I really mean this. Are they, are they taking large amounts of recreational drugs before they're signing off on these FISA warrants? These FBI agents that are a part of this process, they, they feel good about themselves at night, like they're really defending the country from Carter Page. And that's what all this has been. You know, remember, the whole collusion part of this is the only reason you've got a special counsel. Now they're falling back on the, oh, it's just about Russian interference. Russian interference is wildly exaggerated. It's not that important. It doesn't really matter. And we can't stop it. So what are we really going to do? We're just going to live now in fear our elections. Oh, no, you know, uh, what if what if somebody what if somebody sent me a fake news and it's a Russian? OK, whatever. And, you know, it, it's really with with Democrats, it's like just time to put on the big boy pants here. It's it's just too much. And Rand Paul, I, I give him a lot of credit because, oh, he got hammered on this yesterday, but he's right. And Wolf Blitzer, who usually, you know, people think Wolf Blitzer is like a neutral newsman. It's really just because he's generally so boring and lacking in, like, facial expression that you figure, well, I guess he's new. He sounds neutral, as in the tone doesn't go up or down. Here I am. I am Wolf Blitzer. I am reading off a prompter, and now I am doing an interview on the things that I'm going to talk about. Uh, how they made this guy like a household name in news is, is an amazing thing to me. I don't I don't I don't know. I mean, I guess he looks the part of newsman. I, I don't really know. But anyway, he was interviewing uh, Rand Paul, and really what he's doing is cross-examining him because, you know, CNN is an objective news network. Anderson Cooper yesterday comes off air, or comes off the Trump presser and says that's the most disgraceful thing I've ever seen. That is a pundit comment. That is not a news anchor comment. A news anchor says, oh, there was the president of the United States. Now let's go to our panel for analysis. Okay, This, this is not that hard. Oh, my gosh, worst thing ever, worse than Pearl Harbor. I mean, people say this. I mean, really, you, you got to wonder about them. I mean, I mean, wonder about their mental health. But here's how this Wolf Blitzer thing went here uh, yesterday. I wanted to play the audio, but we, we, you know, the show was too close to airtime. Play clip two. The most recent leaders of the intelligence community, James Clapper and John Brennan. James Clapper perjured himself I'm, I'm before the Senate. About Dan and I'm talking I'm about Dan talking, Coates, the current talking, director of national well, intelligence, me, who had answer, to issue well, a state we senator. Can't, we can't senator. Have, I'm not can't talking about much of an interview earlier. Wolf. If you're going to interrupt me on every question, Wolf, we can't really have no, an interview. No, 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 I just want to be precise. If you want to have an it's interview, not Clapper, you got to let it's me answer Brennan. the question. It's, it's Dan usually, Coates Wolf, and Mike Wolf, Pompeo. You're usually, better, you're usually better than this, Wolf, at doing an interview. 
I mean, I think that's fair. He usually is better than this. But you know what that was? Wolf felt pressure to show his Democrat audience, which is what CNN has. I mean, CNN is a the whole thing now is a giant fraud. The whole thing. You know, their whole pretense that they're an objective news network without a political bias is laughable, but they still cling to it because otherwise they'd have to actually have their people go out there and make real arguments and stand behind what they say. You know, I, I will I will tell you, I have more respect intellectually for Maddow and Hayes and that whole crew than I do for the for the CNN nightly lineup. Oh, Don Lemon's not a liberal. What are people morons? Come on. They still say this, though. They still pretend. You know, I mean, who who do we think? Who do we think? Jake Capper, Anderson Cooper, Aaron Burnett, Don Lemon, Wolf Blitzer. Who do, do we think that they're they like president? They would have liked President Hillary more or President Trump more. Does, does anyone want to dispute this? Is this really a serious conversation? It's CNN. Oh, no, we're just journalists. We're just journalists. Because they know the, the you know, the, the, the ground is shifting beneath their feet. You know, they've had this wonderful golden goose legacy media operation going on, but we are entering a new world, a wild west of where ideas have to stand on their own and people have to be honest about where they come from and what they are doing. Can't hide behind this facade anymore of objective and neutral news gathering. And, you know, but Wolf wanted to signal to his, I will say it's a cool name. I mean, from a buck to a wolf, it is a cool name. I, I give him that. It is a cool name for a newsman. You know, I, I'm not here to hate. You know what I mean? And his beard, respect. It's Bernanke level. You know, his beard is the mustache equivalent of what Bolton has. Or rather, Bolton's mustache and Blitzer's beard are on the same plane of awesome. I respect it. Okay. That said, uh, it gets worse because Blitzer didn't like the interview because he's trying to signal his audience. I don't like this. I don't like this. But he can't come out and say that. So as I've told you before, what the anchor does is, is interrupt, interrupt, show that you're, you know, show that tension in the interview. Remember one of my rules, whenever you go on TV and you see this, the first person that gets aggressively interrupted is the first person the anchor wants the audience to know, I disagree with this person or even I don't like this person. Watch how that goes. Not a clarification, right? Because sometimes they'll pile on. Oh, no, Buck, what you're really saying, you know, oh, so-and-so, what you're really saying is this, right? Oh, yes, 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 I'm with you. Yes, good person, good person, I like you. The moment they go, whoop, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. When they cut off your flow in one of these supposedly, you know, left-right analysis segments, the person they cut off is the person they want to show the audience they do not like and do not respect. Trust me, watch news with this in your mind. You're like, wow, Buck's got some ninja moves. It's true. Uh, but here's what Blitzer did after that. Play three. Who do you trust, Senator? The American intelligence community, the American law enforcement community, or Vladimir Putin? What I would say is that all power needs to have checks and balances. And I think our intelligence community has way too much power. The fact that Peter Strzok was able to bring incredible bias towards the president to work but, every but day. But, Senator, who do you that, believe? That who do you believe? Us. That's not the question. The, the right question that should be asked, Wolf, is should that power be unchecked or should you have a judicial system that says, you know what, I understand to get information, what you're saying, you have to have who, warrants, but, you have to have checks and balances but, on intelligence. So, so why just why don't you just say you believe in the intelligence community, the law enforcement, you access their their you accept their assessments. You notice this is a tactic they do, right? They construct a whole narrative, a very complex narrative with a lot of misstatements and a lot of inferences and innuendo. But they construct a very complex narrative and then they try to distill it down to one 
question, one yes or no question. And if you accept one side or other, they make it a binary, then you have to accept everything else. And this is what Trump is fighting against in that interview yesterday. He knows the moment you say, yes, Russia meddled in the election, then he's just subject to all this. Oh, see, you're not really president. You didn't really win. He knows that's coming. So he's he's pushing back against that, even though, you know, the premise of their question is constructed so that by just saying, yeah, OK, they meddled. Then the follow on to that, because of all the media efforts around it as well, they must have changed the election and all this stuff must have happened. Right? Here's an example, a perfect example of this. And by the way, Obama, we'll talk about him later in Johannesburg. He did the same thing. He mentioned this specifically. Do you believe in climate change? That's the very that's a very loaded question, right? I mean, well, yeah, of course, climate change is a naturally occurring thing. and has for all of history. Climate has always been changing. So, yeah, of course, I believe in climate change. Do you believe that human beings have an effect on climate change? Well, I mean, I, you know, you can kind of take it at, at the butterfly effect level. Sure. I mean, if a butterfly flaps its wings in New York and, you know, you could have a monsoon in Southeast Asia because of. All the variability and, you know, the decoupled nonlinear system that we live in, that is the universe. Sure, theoretically could have an effect, but that's not what they're saying. When you say, I believe in climate change, you are saying to them and what they're going to go. Well, then we need to have, you know, carbon emission caps and we need to have all these restrictive environmentalist policies and all that comes with it. And they know. They create a binary question so that you have to submit to the narrative that is behind the question. Even though it's unfair, this is this is the propaganda value of what they're doing. And I, I, I know that this, you know, this is this is a complicated way of approaching the question. But, you know, I have the smartest audience in radio. And so we talk about these things at the highest level. That's why Trump is so resistant to, yes, they meddled in the election. Yeah, he knows the Russians probably did this stuff, whatever. But he also knows that they're not concerned with Russian meddling in the election. They're concerned with undermining and delegitimizing his win. This would be like saying if, if the media had been running around with the story for the last 18 months about how there was massive, massive voter fraud, massive voter fraud in the election. They couldn't prove any of it. And then they said, well, was there any voter? And by the way, they would never do this because they claim that there isn't voter fraud and they don't want to know how much voter fraud there is. Democrats have no interest in finding that out. But if you said, well, yeah, I mean, there were a couple of votes changed. I go, no, no, no. Do you believe in voter fraud? You go, well, OK, yeah, well, yes, you believe in voter fraud. Therefore, we know the last election was illegitimate because of the massive voter fraud we've been talking about all along. You see how quickly it transitions into that. That's the game they're playing here. And Trump knows it. And that's why he's hesitant. Now, you know, could he be more adept at trying to get out of the trap they set for him? Sure. Yesterday he got he got jammed up. But, you know, they're trying to jam him up with every question, every press conference. And people say, oh, book, he's a president. He no, they're not asking him policy questions. They're asking him, when did you stop beating your wife questions? And and when every member of the press corps, with the exception of Fox and a few other outlets, are just asking you when you stop beating your wife day in and day out, and you're expected to have to answer these questions in one form or another, or your administration is, people are going to slip up. It's going to happen. And they know that, right? That's why the hyena arena of CNN and all the rest gets so excited by this. Blitzer wants you to know he does not like... He does not like uh, those answers. He did not like what Ron Paul had to say. Uh, Rand Paul, pardon me, had to say. Uh, man, I didn't even get it. There's some other stuff here, too. By the way, we've got Judge Deneen joining. That's going to, you guys think I'm fired up. Judge Deneen, that's going to be very interesting. We've got Obama. We're going to talk about his speech later on in this hour. And uh, I've got, got a whole lot more show. So we are going to transition off this issue of the press conference and everything else. I, ju- I just think it's important. And, you know, I took some heat today because I did this, this short video. I'm not saying it you know, didn't go mega viral or anything, but we're doing these short form videos, 90 seconds. 
Call it a buckshot. It's on my page now, facebook.com slash bucksexton. And I just made this case. Is Trump really crazy to think that there might be a problem with the intelligence community? Because the intelligence community at the top level has been waging almost almost an open war against them at this point. I mean, we, we know this, right? We see the people that used to run it, and now they're out, and all they want to do is tear down Trump at the expense of their own credibility, of their own sanity, it seems. So is it crazy that Trump is aware of this deep state and doesn't want to play into their hands? I don't think so. But, you know, even some conservatives got mad at me today. Eh, whatever, you know? Hey, producer Mike, you can't, you can't, you can't please all the, you can't please all the never Trumpers all the time. You know what I mean? You can't please them any of the time, really. I've lost friends over this, man. It's crazy, you know. And that's I, I don't, an, that's I don't an almost impossible that crowd that went over. Yeah, I mean, all with me, you just got to be cool, like books, dogs, and we can be friends. You know what I mean? So you, you got, you, you can't dislike dogs. That that is kind of a red line for me. But all right, we got more coming, team. Stay with me. The 1980s are now calling to ask for their foreign policy back because, you know, the Cold War has been over for 20 years. In many of the areas where we are working to solve problems, uh, Russia has been uh, an ally. Governor Romney's answer, I thought, was incredibly revealing. He acts like he thinks the Cold War is still on. Russia is still our major adversary. I don't know where he's been. Mitt Romney talks like he's only seen Russia by watching Rocky IV. Yeah, a lot of Democrats, they're a little throwback. Just to a few years back, folks, not that long. Democrats are like, what is this crazy talk about Russia being an adversary? <laughs> Republican warmongers. And now they're like, oh my gosh, the Russians are invading. I mean, when you listen to some of the analysis from the last 24 hours, you really get the sense that a lot of uh, news anchors and pundits and, and Democrat members of Congress think that they're in a, they're in like Red Dawn 3 or something. And and the Ruskies are invading. When you look at the Russian economy, I mean, we are so far ahead of Russia on all this stuff. And it would be better for the whole world if we could align more of our interests with the Russians and get them to play ball in a way that look it it wasn't long ago. I mean, you know, there's a whole other way to look at this which I know people it's okay, people can yell at me for this. I don't care. Russia's come a long way from where it was in a pretty short period of time. Folks, we had the serious threat of mutually assured nuclear destruction for decades. Okay, we had little kids hiding under their desks like that was going to save them, you know, if the neutron bombs dropped. And, you know, they had the drills going on. And, you know, now they got Russians. Yeah, it's not perfect, but they're showing up in vacation spots all over the world. They're, you know, the. They got like, lots of expensive gear from Gucci and Fendi and all these other places and rocking the Versace suits. They're driving around in Porsches and Maseratis. And, you know, those are the ones that, granted, looted the Russian state industries. But I'd rather have them focused on capitalism and conspicuous consumption than trying to push some workers revolution and destroy all of us. Right. I mean, when you really think about it, Russia's actually come a long way. I'm not saying it's OK. I'm not excusing anything Putin does, but. I mean, it's, it's in my lifetime that they've gone from, yeah, we might just have to destroy the entire United States and maybe the world to, you know what? I like fancy, fancy cars, nice watches and big houses. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. We, we can work with this. It's not perfect. It's not going to be perfect anytime soon. But it's also not, you know, Dr. Strangeglove and nuclear destruction. So let's keep an eye on all this stuff. All right. Uh, we got Judge Janine coming up. 
He's back with you now because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. All right, team, welcome back. We now have a guest who really needs no introduction, the one and only Judge Janine Pirro of Fox News fame. She has a new book out, Liars, Leakers, and Liberals, The Case Against the Anti-Trump Conspiracy. Judge Pirro, great to have you. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, Buck, it's great to be with you, and I love the buck stops here. (laughs) Indeed. Why, thank you, madam. Why, thank you. So tell us, Judge, about the new book. Well, you know, uh, Buck, I've been a prosecutor, judge, and DA for 30 years. So I know crime, I know the law, and I know a con when I see it. And there was no question in my mind that uh, leading up to this last presidential election, there were people within the Department of Justice and the FBI who sought to essentially drag a criminal across the presidential finish line without any kind of real investigation, without a grand jury and panel, none of this stuff that I did for years, and they called it a criminal investigation. And then when it appeared that Donald Trump might win for president, these same people within the FBI and the Department of Justice decide that what they're going to do is they're going to create an insurance policy. And you and your listeners, Buck, may not have understood it at the time that these emails or text messages between FBI Peter Strzok, Assistant Director of Counterintelligence, And uh, his girlfriend, Lisa Page, uh, counsel in the FBI, when they started talking about insurance policy, I'm not sure everyone really understood what that meant, except it became very clear. And my book, Liars, Leakers, and Liberals, is almost prescient on this one, where the insurance policy was the Russia collusion investigation. That would be their ace in the hole in the event, in their minds, God forbid, Donald Trump got elected. And that's why when we saw Peter Strzok last week arrogantly, condescendingly, smugly, uh, uh, defiantly, and unapologetically talk to members of Congress as though he were some kind of uh, 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 superior being, uh, it was clear that these people were running their own system of justice within our time-honored FBI. And that's where I wrote the book. I think Americans... What? I was going to say, Judge, what what did you make of the the IG report that was a a compendium page after page of blatant bias that then said no bias that affects actions? To me, it just seemed... The whole thing seemed disingenuous. I've never felt so honestly disgusted by the the DOJ in recent memory, at least, maybe ever. Well, I got to tell you, you know, there's a saying, don't believe your lion eyes. (laughs) I just, uh, you know, it was like Jim Comey. It was the same feeling I had when Jim Comey said she was reckless. She was this with Hillary Clinton with those emails. And everybody's saying, die, he's going to indict her. He's going to call for her indictment. And nothing happened. The same with Peter Strzok. He was biased in this and biased in that, but no proof there was bias in the outcome. Excuse me, are you stupid? I mean, of course there was bias. This is a textbook definition of bias. And what they did was, this is the deep state, Buck. This is the deep state covering for itself. Everybody's got the goods on everybody else. And that's why I wrote the book, Liars and Leakers. They are liars. They are leakers. Jim Colby. I worked with him when I was the elected DA. He was the U.S. attorney with his office next to mine. I mean, this guy acted like he was holier than thou. And the FBI, behind his back, the rank and file who were good men and women, called him Cardinal Comey. I mean, he's just stuck on himself. 
But what they did for the first time in American history was they tried to overturn an election with their own coup. And thank God that the American people instinctively knew it was time for an outsider. They instinctively knew this isn't about Republican and Democrat. It's about the swamp, the establishment, people going to Washington with with minimal means or mediocre means and come out multimillionaires and their families are multimillionaires. I'm fed up with it. And you know what? Americans work hard. We don't deserve these people who think, oh, well, this should be a global country. Let them all come in and then, you know, we can pay for it while we work two or three jobs. No, you know, Americans are hardworking. They're fair. They're charitable. But don't, don't pull the wool over their eyes. Don't tell them they're responsible and they're not Christian if they don't do what these globalists want them to do. And the book is a reminder that everything is at stake right now, Buck. Everything. Judge, I got to ask you, because I've, I've heard some things. If called upon to serve this president as the attorney general, what would your response be? Well, I don't engage in hypotheticals. Even as a judge, I would, I would, I would sustain objections by lawyers in my courtroom who said, if this were to be the case, and I would say to them, if it's the case, we'll get to it. But it's not right now. Look, Donald Trump, and I write this in the book, he's been my friend for 30 years. I know him. I watched his kids grow up. This is a man who believes in this country who could just as easily have been on a golf course in Scotland and stayed there playing golf for the next six months. Um, and and, and I, I, I'm happy with what I'm doing. Uh, who knows what the future holds? All right. Well, Judge, you got to promise us, if it does come up, you got to come back and we talk about it. Okay? Deal? Well, I, I love you, and I thank you, Brooke, and your listeners for listening. Thanks of course. So Judge, good luck on the book. Uh, good luck on the book. Everybody, check it out for yourself. Liars, Leakers, and Liberals, The Case Against the Anti-Trump Conspiracy. Judge Jeanine Pirro, thank you so much, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Buck. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. So there you have the judge. The one only judge in here, man. She's great. I've done her show a bunch of times. She's a lot of fun. And she she gets it's like Friday night and Judge Janine lights it up. Uh anyway, I'm gonna talk about I know now this is gonna be kind of a you know, boo hoo, so sad. We gotta talk about an Obama speech now. We're we're really gonna dig into it. We got that coming up, team. So uh stay right there, we'll be back. Unfortunately, too much of politics today seems to reject the very concept of objective truth. People just make stuff up. They they just make stuff up. We see it in the growth of state-sponsored propaganda. We see it in internet-driven fabrications. We see it in in the blurring of lines between news and entertainment. We see the, the utter loss of shame among political leaders where they're caught in a lie and they just double down and they lie some more. That's President Obama. You miss him, everybody? I, I think we needed, you know what I think we really needed at this point in time in our, in our discourse in this country? I think we needed the most recent former president of the United States to, from overseas, that was in uh, Johannesburg, South Africa, Uh, give a thinly veiled broadside against the current U.S. administration. You'll notice that, you know who didn't do that? Bush. During Obama's eight years. Didn't do it. Didn't think it was right. Didn't think it was honorable to take cheap shots at 
the person who came after him in the Oval Office. Just didn't, didn't, didn't do it. Obama does it, but actually doesn't even have the courage to come out and just say it, right? We all know who he's talking about there. Oh, when he's talking about state-sponsored media, it's, that's not new. If you ask him, oh, where's, oh, really, President Obama, where's the new state-sponsored media? He's really talking about Fox News. This is all a, a version of the same critiques we're hearing day in and day out about the Trump administration, but Obama's just, he's just leaving out Trump's name. Oh, because he's, so, he's so clever. It's so subtle. You know, at least have the courage. If you're going to take cheap shots at the administration from foreign soil, especially right now, given what's happened in Helsinki and everything else, you know, just say it. I'd have more respect for Obama if you just called it out instead of this kind of wink and a nod of like, I mean, state-sponsored media, we all know we're talking about Fox News, right? You know, be forthright about it. One, one thing about Democrats, you know, very... Uh, very quick to be keyboard warriors, really tough on Twitter. And, and when they're overseas, you know, they, they just assume that the whole world is with them. Meanwhile, most of the world doesn't care what any Americans have to say about anything. There's that, too. Most people just care about their day-to-day lives in their country. This whole notion of world opinion is this left-wing fabrication in America. There's no, world, there's no global opinion on anything. You can't measure this. There's Seven billion people in the world. You think they most of them give a, give a, a hoot? about what's going on with our political problem. I don't think so. All right. They're worried about food on the table, you know, not getting a serious disease and hopefully providing for their families or, or, or being in a place to have a family. That's it. Anyway, so Obama, though, you know, it's been a while since Obama lectured the rest of us because he's he's really a, a demigod. I mean, he's he's above us. He deigned to be among us mere mortals for eight years. And now Obama is back. And, and you know, there's some stuff that he said that, I'll get into that. Um, well, I wish this was more of the tone. Actually, we had for eight years when he was in office instead of just a, a complete fixation on demonizing the political opposition that he had. Uh, just being a pyromaniac in a field of straw men all the time with every conservative policy argument that he came across. Never really dealt with it on the merits. And then the obsession with identity politics, toxic, toxic identity politics, one of the Real legacies of the Obama era is that we, we still deal with this now to this day, this, this identity politics nonsense uh, that it has only, is worse than it has ever been. Uh, but, you know, here, here's what he said about, about oppression. And remember, he's talking about the U.S. while he's in South Africa, plane 19. It is a plain fact that racial discrimination still exists in both the United States and South Africa. And it is also a fact that the accumulated disadvantages of years of institutionalized oppression have created yawning disparities in income and in wealth and in education and in health, in personal safety, in access to credit. Interesting. Access to credit. You might think to yourself, why is that? There'll be more of this. I've started to pick up on this again, that... In the aftermath of the financial collapse, and this is a bit of a diversion, but this is important. In the aftermath of the financial collapse, there were all these new rules uh, that the banks, you know, Dodd-Frank, and all this stuff came crashing down on the banks. And, and all of a sudden, people realized making bad loans is a bad idea. The only way that we ever got to the financial crisis where you had you know, exotic dancers in Miami who owned five houses and all the rest of it, right? The only way we got to that point was that 
community organizers, really the original social justice warriors, decided that banks' lending practices, which were based entirely upon income and history of paying bills, were racist. This goes back to the Community Reinvestment Act and decades of social justice agitation over the issue. And they talk about redlining, and then you know they they would then they started bringing federal suits against banks, and they decided they're going to get rid of the uh, the FICO score as a necessary component in lending, or make it much less important. And that then led to the the uh, monstrosities of the balance sheets that you had of of different mortgages at Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And this is the truth of how we got. And then Wall Street which is just like a pack of wolves circling, you know, capitalism. It is about, you know, get what you can, when you can. Then they came in, packaged these things, sold them, and almost took down the whole global economy. So for a while, they had to back off this. But, but I'm starting to hear this again. Interesting, isn't it? Obama says, you know, access to credit. I mean, access to credit in this country is supposed to be based upon your ability to pay and your history of payment. It's not supposed to have anything to do with, with your ethnicity, skin color, religion, or anything else. But what they're going to start saying is that the objective criteria, if they have a disparate impact on different communities, are no longer to be considered objective, which kicks the door wide open for, all right, we're just going to make loans to people based on favored status as an aggrieved minority group, which then means that you're going to start making a lot of loans to people that can't pay them, and they're going to either socialize those losses in the broader economy or just keep pushing and pushing and pushing the debt load larger and larger until eventually, guess what? We have another financial crisis. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to turn around and they're going to blame the greedy capitalists, even though it's actually government engineering that pushed the whole crisis. See, this is the version of the mortgage meltdown you won't hear from anybody else. It is all true. Go ahead. Fact check me. You'll see everything I'm telling you. Go back. Look at the Community Reinvestment Act. Look at redlining practices. Look at the government's response when they started bringing suits against banks for not loaning to people. And there were a number of cases actually in Chicago where they sued certain banks and said they were racist. And the banks were actually community banks that were African-American owned. And they were like, well, we're just trying to do this. We're trying to make loans that we think will actually get paid back because we're a bank. The other banks were like, well, they're terrified of being considered racist. So they, they, they wouldn't use that criteria. But, you know, nobody ever wants to actually deal with the facts when it comes to lending, when it comes to these disparities. They, they just want to say what gets the biggest applause. And, and Obama's dealing with doing that right now. Access to credit. I know that sounds like such a throwaway. It's not a throwaway. And it really, I, I heard, I actually had an interview here today with a, a would-be Ocasio-Cortez, another person who is young, trying to unseat an incumbent senator in the Democrat, Democrat Party in Delaware. And she also talked about access to credit. So I'm hearing this now. This is a thing. You're going to hear more of this. And... Real quick. And and then there was something Obama said that I have to say. I thought, wait a second. This is, um, I, I, I like that. Play 17. But democracy demands that we're able also to get inside the reality of people who are different than us so we can understand their point of view. Maybe we can change their minds, but maybe they'll change ours. And you can't do this if you just out of hand disregard what your opponents have to say from the start. And you can't do it if you insist that those who aren't like you because they're white or because they're male, that somehow there's no way they can understand what I'm feeling, that somehow they lack standing to speak on certain matters. 
I think that's great. I've never heard Obama say anything like that before. I'm not saying he hasn't. I just say I'm, I can't remember him ever saying anything like that before. Was that a message that you that just because you're you're uh, you know you're a white male, for example, doesn't mean you can't understand the plight of aggrieved minorities or and, and people need to understand that and occur. Is that a message that you feel like came through from the eight years of the Obama administration? I'm just going off of my own recollection here. I'm not, you know, I don't need any of the, any of the crazy fact checkers out there, you know, politifact or whatever. They don't need to jump on me. I'm just saying I don't, I don't remember that at all. I'm totally behind that message. I want people to try to understand each other. I want people to come to good faith resolutions of political disagreements. So, okay, if that's the message Obama wants to go with, I'm all for it. But I have a feeling what you're going to see between now and the midterms is a lot more Obama giving lectures abroad and at home about how all these terrible things are happening in the country and he won't really mention Trump. And I just wish if he was going to be out there and ignoring the precedent set by his predecessor, if he's going to be out there and being in the political fight, be honest about it, former President Obama. Just say what you mean and mean what you say. How about that? Got a big third hour coming up here, team. Stay with me. We'll be right back. Strikeforce Energy, veteran-owned, American-made, one of the hottest new energy products on the market. Look, Strikeforce is fantastic. I'm using it now every day. Let me tell you how it works, okay? It is an energy liquid in a pack. And what you do is you mix it in with whatever you want, okay? It tastes great with 16 to 20 ounces of water, tea, lemonade, yogurt. You can even throw Strikeforce into an ice-cold beer. And what it does is help you get energy and fuel for the fight. It's available in four flavors, has zero sugar and zero calories. You will love it. And oh, by the way, Strikeforce has shipped millions of packets of Strikeforce to our troops both at home and abroad. Right now, if you go to StrikeforceEnergy.com, you enter discount code BUCK at checkout. For every packet you buy, Strikeforce will donate a packet to military members around the globe. Help yourself stay fueled for the fight. Help our troops at home and overseas stay fueled for the fight. Go to StrikeForceEnergy.com, discount code BUCK. StrikeForceEnergy.com, discount code BUCK. Buck Sexton. Permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One make, make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. You may recall that the Founder of Papa John's, John Schnatter, uh, got embroiled in a racial slur scandal recently. And the board of Papa John's, a company that he was founder of and still owns a large piece of, worth about $500 million, by the way. So Schnatter's going to be fine either way. But, you know, your reputation is your reputation no matter how rich you are. But Schnatter had the board turn on him. He resigned. They're pulling him out of all of the marketing materials for Papa John's. They really decided that he was he was not just a little bit out. He was out and they were going to erase all trace of his presence at that company. I guess other than changing the name from Papa John's to something else, because his name is John, I'm assuming maybe it's for his dad. I don't know. I will also say that. Well, I, I won't get into because people would point out rightly that I haven't had any fast food pizza in about 10 years because I can't eat flour and didn't know that until, well, about seven or eight years ago. But nonetheless, uh, 
that's not really important for our discussion. What is important here is that Schnatter, formerly the CEO of Papa John's, is now saying that he made a mistake in stepping down and that he should not have just allowed the board to push him out right away because the full story didn't really come out about his usage of a racial slur, in this case, reportedly, the N-word. Now, I have somewhat uh, blasphemous views on this in the sense that I do not believe that there should be such a thing as a word that any person is unable to use in any context. You know, su- such that if I were you know, in a court of law and I was reading back the testimony of somebody who had just said a word, I would have to change the word to something else because of who I am, not because of a universally applicable standard. It's one thing to say, Buck, you're on radio, you can't curse. It's another thing to say, well, Buck, because you are, let's say, a Republican on radio, you can't curse, but Democrats can curse on radio. And I know that's not what happens, but I'm just trying to say that's what I mean by different rules for different people. Universally applicable means no one can say it, and then we can discuss discuss whether or not a prohibition is sensible on a word. A prohibition is something that we could all agree on or not. But prohibitions that vary by person, I think, are inherently problematic. I remember an essay years ago that Christopher Hitchens wrote on the pernicious effect of banning words. And he was somebody who liked to be provocative. He was a, a, a great writer, uh, a anti-Christian bigot, but a great writer nonetheless. I mean, very talented writer. And... You know, he, he took that position. I, I agree with the position, and it reminds me of the kerfuffle now uh, that surrounds, well, the debacle that surrounds John Schnatter, where pe- people are calling him, look, they're saying he's a racist. And the way that story was initially reported, here's a very wealthy, nationally recognizable, at some level, guy who apparently used a racial slur. And what we find out is that, well, he didn't, just drop a racial slur in conversation. He certainly didn't refer to anyone as a racial slur. Here's what the Wall Street Journal says, quote, In his letter to the board, Mr. Schnatter said he was asked during the media training whether he is racist, and he answered no. Quote, I then said something on the order of Colonel Sanders used the N-word. I would never use that word, and Papa John's doesn't use that word, end quote. Now, he said the word. Right. Not the N word, but the actual word that we all know is, you know, is the the other way of saying that is the other word. And that's what he had this national level. uh, That's what he had this this national level crisis about for his company and, and for him as an individual. And I look at this and I think to myself, so we're really at the place now where if I were to read aloud, let's say, from. Uh, Huckleberry Finn, uh, and, you know, if you were to read some of the dialogue of characters in the Mark in Mark Twain novels and you did not change what was the written text and you read that aloud, I think you would be subject to the rage of the social justice mob and your career and your reputation may be ruined. Schnatter did not use a racial epithet against any person, nor did he drop a racial epithet into his conversation thoughtlessly. He said, I would not say this word, 
But by saying the word, he transgressed. Folks, I I think this is a problem. And it it really only, from what I can gather, it really only is the case with this one word right now. I don't know. Maybe there are a few other words that aren't, people aren't as sensitive about, but where there's also a, if you're from within the community, you can say it. But if you're outside the community, you can't. I, I even am willing to discuss usage of banned words in certain contexts. But I want to be very clear from what from what is being reported here about Schnatter, founder of Papa John's Pizza, which I'm sure most of you listening to this have probably eaten at some point in time. Maybe some of you think it's great pizza. I don't know. I don't know why, and I don't know. But what what Schnatter is pilloried for, and what he has lost his reputation for, and lost his place on the board of the company he founded, is using a word, or rather citing a word that someone else used. So this is now usage in any context is racist, is banned, is wrong, depending on who the person is. That is a pretty extreme bar for us to deal with. And I, I think it also goes to show that this is uh, that, that, that this is now getting to a place where the rules are, well, I don't know. I don't know really what the rules are anymore other than you better be very careful if you are not from within the community that is allowed to use certain uh, you know, racial terms, racial terminology. You, know, you have to be super careful because everyone's going to just throw you to the wolves right away. And, and I, I just I do not agree with this in principle. I do not agree that there are words that some people can never use under any circumstances. I think it's a dangerous precedent in our language. I think it's dangerous for our discourse. I just disagree with it. But you'll notice I won't violate it. You know, I'm not and I'm not going to be an idiot. Right. I mean, I understand these are the rules now. I disagree with the rules, but these are the rules. Uh, And then there's this other. Remember, I'm not saying use use of racial epithets is ever okay or a good idea in everyday speech or anything else. What I'm saying is the ban on the actual saying of a word ever. I mean, it's like Voldemort. It's, you know, he who shall not be spoken of. That is not something that I want as a precedent in the English language in an American society. That's not something that I think we should be in favor of. And there are some liberals. There are some civil libertarians and some liberals out there who still agree with me. There are a few. There are a few. You know, if someone says a word in the wrong, if someone calls someone a racial epithet, yeah, that's an assault on their, in, you know, decency as a person, on their integrity. And, and that's, you know, w- that person should be named and shamed and all that. I get that. I'm talking about you can't say the word ever, period. In any context, that's too far. I just think that's too far. Uh, and then also on on Schnatter stepping down and stepping down quickly, y- y- we we have seen a shift happen, and it's not just in this case; it's in many cases where when there is when political correctness demands someone's head, you no longer get any benefit from bowing and apologizing to the mob you no longer actually derive any benefit they you know they go king joffrey from game of thrones on you you admit your crime and then they take your head there is no mercy so that's going to change our our discourse i think for a lot of folks going forward i I think there's a greater recognition now than ever before that if you it used to be they wanted the apology but they would kind of let you slink off into public life afterwards as long as you apologized and did the whole... Gro- you had to do a grovel tour for a while if you offended the social justice mob. Now, if you offend the social justice mob, you might as well make a last stand for your career. You might as well 
argue and plead your case and stand and fight, unless you are really giving in to the dictates of your own conscience, unless you really believe you erred, and then that's... But you get no... You get no benefit from the other side, and I've seen it in case after case now. You do not get any understanding, any second chance. When the social justice mob comes for you, it is now a last stand for your career, for your livelihood, uh, and that's it's just a lesson that you see here. If you step down, if you give up your ability to fight back and plead your case, I'm not saying you know whether this is not about Schneider. This is just in general. If you say, okay, I'm sorry, punish me and and let me go forward, what you'll find out now, and this is a change from some years ago, is, oh, no, we appreciate that you're sorry, but we're still going to ruin you and there will be no second chance and you are going to be held up as an example to others. You are now a cautionary tale. You are not somebody who can be brought back. There's no rehabilitation by the social justice mob. Now you are done. Now you are finished. That's a dangerous change i think in in the character of our discussions around culture and politics and everything else uh and you know that that schnatter said the word he said obviously shows poor judgment but you know it brings me back to this okay so we really are in a place now where you are never you based on who you are not based on the power of a word itself based on who you are in this case based on your skin color can be permanently and forever in all contexts banned from uttering a word doesn't matter what the context is that is a dangerous precedent i don't care what anybody says that is not something that uh, we should just sit blithely by uh while that is a precedent in in america so i know people people disagree with me on the uh, conservatives disagree with me on this that's fine i'm i am pleading my case here for there must always be the context of a word's usage has to matter in the evaluation of whether or not somebody has transgressed, has you know, has shown themselves to be deficient in their character. The context matters. Just the word can't just be forever banned. All right, uh, maybe I'll tell you a happy story coming up here. Stay with me. It can be the little things that creep up on you. It can be those little details that you skip over that make the difference between a really smart business decision and one you're going to regret, and it could cost you a lot of money. could even cost you your business if you're not careful. Global Verification Network has your back on all these issues. When it comes to investigations and vetting, you need to call Global Verification Network. They make sure it's all done here stateside. There are other companies in this space that, first of all, aren't dual certified and veteran owned the way Global Verification is. And also, they send a lot of their stuff overseas. You don't know who's really working on your case. You don't know where their servers are. And they don't have as good a control over what's actually happening day to day. When you call Global Verification, someone answers the phone. You don't go to some call center. Check it out for yourself. Go to mygvn.com. That's mygvn.com or call 877-695-1179. That's 877-695-1179. before here on the show that i think that the skill of first days as in how to approach your first day in school in work in life whatever it may be right whatever it is that you are facing for the first time is one of the more important things and and it's something that i've as i'm sure many of you have dealt with 
for as long as I can remember. And I've gotten better as I've gotten older. And there is a mindset to it. Well, here's a story that I just thought, given all the craziness out there right now, uh, I would share with you. Although I probably, I would have told you about the story of a lost pug in Cape Cod that went viral because the cops found the pug and then did a a mug shot and they called it a pug shot. And they shared it so that whoever lost the pug would be able to find their pug. And they had the little, you know, mug shot thing under the pug where it, yeah, it was really, really, a whole little nameplate. It was really adorable. But you can't see it. So my description of it is all I can give you. But this is also a really nice story, uh, and it has to do with first day. So Walter Carr was supposed to have his first day of work with a moving company last week in in Alabama, uh, in Homewood, Alabama. And uh, he his car broke down the night before, a Sunday night before his first day of work, and he was going to be with this moving company. So instead of doing what a lot of folks would have done, he just walked. Uh, he walked 14 miles to his first job site straight through the night walked 14 miles and arrived at the place where he was supposed to join his team to be a mover and he got there before everybody else and he found out that or rather the family that was hired that hired the movers found out that this gentleman Carr and his mother were from new orleans and they lost their home during hurricane katrina and then moved to alabama and this guy was very very uh, very humble and told the rest of the crew about how he walked 14 miles through the night after his car broke down because he didn't want to be late for his first day on the job. And now this has gone uh, viral, and the owner of this, uh, the owner of this moving company called uh, Bellhops, uh, has gifted a car to Car. His last name is C A R R, but gave him a 2014 Ford Escape as a thank you for exemplifying. Look, it's a great PR move for the moving company. I'm like, you know, we all know this, right? But to, for exemplifying this, uh, you know, can-do attitude and, and just not want to be late on his first day. And I'll tell you, you know, I've had to learn this. I've had to learn this myself, even relatively small things. You know, a, a couple of first day, first day advice that I give out there. And, and, you know, you're never too old for a first day. You know, maybe it's, yeah, we think of it usually with jobs or with, school but you know first day anywhere first day in a, in a new uh gym can feel a little weird first day in a you know you go down the line whatever it may be you know if you're traveling overseas your first day at a place you know what's the and i always feel like one don't try to go big on the first day this is just my own personal recollection you know don't be the guy that tries to don't try to make an impression on your first day. Leave an impression on your first day. What I mean by that is, you know, don't try to rearrange the, the company's way of doing business day one. Just go along and you know, be the guy that everyone is glad or gal that everyone's glad is there. You know, that you're, you're there to work, to do your job, to, to be helpful. And, and I will say, and I borrow this from my dad, who, by the way, his birthday is, in fact... Uh, coming up, so I'm excited to be giving him a, a happy birthday here on the show. Um, but you know, I, I my my dad always says attitude is everything, and in work and in school, it's the first day. Definitely, that's the one thing that people pick up on, and it's something I, I will tell you. I'm not great at hiding my attitude about things. My family would laugh if they heard this. For somebody who used to be an intelligence officer, I'm good at detecting other people's BS, if you will. I'm not good at doing my own BS. 
And that means that I'm also not good at putting on a happy face when I'm not happy about something or if I'm not loving the way things are going on the first day. So I've learned to get better at that. I've learned to get better at that. Another thing, I think I might have mentioned this before on the show, uh, is, you know, I used to think it wouldn't matter because I've always had a lot of hair. I know that's a humble brag, but uh, it wasn't until very later on in life when someone finally told me, it was actually when I was at the NYPD, do not arrive for work late. Uh, or sorry, or sorry, it doesn't matter if you don't arrive for work late. Let me redo this. If your hair is wet, it looks like you just got out of the shower. Because I'd always thought, come on, hair dry. I don't need a hair dryer, right? That's for, I always thought that's kind of for ladies. Honestly, that was my thinking with this because I could just air dry my hair. But if you, you were close enough to work that, you know, I'd showered in the morning and I, I don't know if that's something people agree with, but it's something that I paid more attention to. And especially in a workplace where a lot of people were traveling from far away to get there, it looked a little... Uh, people took it the wrong way, I guess, when I would show up if I still had wet hair. I mean, not like soaking wet, but you know what I'm saying. If it looked like your hair was slicked back and still wet because you just you'd showered for the morning. So little things like that you pick up. But the the best thing I'd... Look, I never walked 14 miles through the night for work, and I don't know if I ever would. And that guy's amazing, and you know, congrats to him. But my thing that I've I've learned, and I've seen it on both sides, and I've learned it the hard way and the easy way, is don't try to make an impression. Just know that you are leaving it. I think that's a, a good mantra going into a first day wherever you are. And if you're willing to work, uh, walk 14 miles through the night to get to your job site. Oh, and the other thing is, you, you, it is true, and it just bears repeating. I've learned this. This one I have learned the hard way. I've gotten much better about this. Cannot be late. You just can't be late. You, you know, it. even when people are cool about it, this is what I've learned. E- even if it doesn't matter that you're not late. And by the way, later on you can be late. I'm talking about day one. Day one, you absolutely cannot be late. A lot of you are like, fuck, we already know this. But I just for some of the youngins out there listening, some of the Team Buck campus, trust me, even when they say it's okay, it's not okay when you're late. We'll be right back. He's holding the line. For America, Buck Sexton is back. Trump, I just saw your press conference with President Putin, and it was embarrassing. I mean, you stood there like a little wet noodle, like a little uh, uh, fanboy. I mean, I was asking myself, when are you going to ask him for an autograph or for a selfie or something like that? Yeah, when you want to ask him for the selfie? I mean, you literally sold out at this press conference our intelligence community, our justice system, and worst of all, our country. You're the president of the United States. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that, you girly man. I mean, what's the matter with you? Who is your daddy and what does he do? I mean, whatever happened to the strong words or to the strength of Ronald Reagan when he stood there at the Berlin Wall and he said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. What happened to all that? What, are your arms too puny for the governor? What happened to all that? <sighs> Man, Trump's even lost the governor on this one. Oh, no. What's he going to do? I don't remember anybody particularly caring what Schwarzenegger had to say about foreign policy while he was governor of California. I'm pretty sure not too many folks will care uh, now about this. But I, I did think one thing was interesting about, look, uh, Schwarzenegger is Austrian, by the way. People always think of him as being German because of the accent. Yeah, Hans and Franz, but he's actually Austrian and is a guy who has an incredible story. I mean, his life story here in the States is amazing. 
But when he says that uh, he's talking about Gorbachev and and, uh, and talking about the era of Gorbachev and Yeltsin and and Reagan and you know tear down this wall and all this stuff, I, I got to say that's the kind of rhetoric that conservatives certainly celebrate. But we celebrate it in the context of. We were facing down the Soviet Union, an evil empire that threatened the world with annihilation. We really aren't doing that anymore. And, and I, I, I understand right now that the, the temperature is very hot. People are really fired up about this whole thing. And, and they're saying stuff that's, that I think is just, it's just borderline crazy. I mean, they're saying things about the president. That, or No, that are crazy. Forget borderline. That, that are crazy. But, but I also, you know, I think it's such a loss for us. And, and maybe I'm... I'm off on a, on a tangent. I just think it's such a loss for us that entertainers... Now, Schwarzenegger, I know, is a politician, and people are even thinking maybe he'd run for president at some point. Some of you will recall the movie Demolition Man. Sylvester Stallone, because this is action movie stuff, Sylvester Stallone makes an offhanded joke about President Schwarzenegger one day, right? Because he wakes up in the future, and there's been a President Schwarzenegger... In the era of Trump, you know, it, it feels like none of that stuff can really be considered to be impossible. And and I just thought that was I that was kind of stuck with this. Like, wow, President Schwarzenegger, people were thinking about that for a while. But I, I do wish that we could have some separation of our entertainment culture from the constant stream of politics. I, I know this has become a, a conservative point of contention here that that everything is now political uh, but I, I really do find it troubling i mean it it does bother me i wish it wasn't the case occasionally i see something that i go oh wow there's some there's a little bit of cultural commentary that breaks with them a little bit of bravery i like this show silicon valley even though it's the people say it's like the rise of the beta males over you know the rest and all that that's all you know that's all kind of nonsense uh but it's a funny show. It's Mike Judge, the guy who did Office Space. I like it. And I just am getting caught up in the latest season. Over the weekend, I saw an episode where the big uh, the big problem is that there is a character who is gay and Christian. And I won't get into all the details, but he's the going to be the proprietor of a website. And the guy, the main character from the show, outs him, not as, as gay, because he's openly gay, and that's fine, and Silicon Valley, and everyone's fine with it outs him as Christian. And the problems that that causes for this startup internet company, the problems it causes in Silicon Valley, and I just thought it was such, it it was so refreshing to finally see an instance of some honesty in what we're being presented as as comedy, that there is a lot that's going on, folks, that is worthy of, of mockery and derision that never gets touched because of political correctness and political sensitivities. And it is a true thing right now that to be any historically marginalized minority of any kind, to be from the LGBTQ community, any of that in the Bay Area, Silicon Valley, is not just fine, but it it is openly celebrated, which is fine, too. That's a good thing. Uh, But to be Christian is to subject yourself now to real hatred and people don't trust you. And that's not a, uh, you know, and and I was just surprised to see that finally someone in pop culture was willing to tackle this issue. And look, Mike Judge is very irreverent. He's not some, he's not blazing the trail for Christianity to make a comeback in America by any means. But he, he, the show does pick up on the fact that right now, uh, 
it is a a precarious thing to live your faith and to be a Christian in America now. You are always being told that you are uh, that you're a bad person, that you're a bigot, that and you have all these politicians like the Pelosi's of the world who say that they're Christians, say that they're favorable toward Christianity, but the moment that somebody's actually Christian, whoa, 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 you know, th- th- then you got a problem. I know I've strayed from the governor a bit here, but it just made me think. I think of him in entertainment in Hollywood, and he is the greatest action movie hero of all time. So I wish he was on the Trump train, but, you know, he's not. So, and it's not going to happen. Roll Call is uh, up next, team. Stay with me. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. All right, let's get to the Roll Call. Your thoughts. Want to hear them, want to read them, and then hear them. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton if you want in on this action. First up here, we have Karen, who writes, I know you've been experimenting with what to wear on Rising. Get Ben Dominich to advise you. He looks comfortable and sharp in the blue check shirt with the blue blazer with the subtle plaid. Uh, Thank you, Karen. Ben is a very sharp dresser indeed, always has been. In fact, Ben tends to go for the pocket square. Uh, which is something that I eschew in my uh, sartorial endeavors. But uh, Ben is a buddy, and uh, I will certainly go to him. If I really want help, I'll go to Miss Molly, who works in fashion. Uh, But I tend not to bother her with things like that, Uh, although I will ask her for a little assistance on the wardrobe, since some of you think that that would be a good idea. Aries writes... Hold up, here it comes. Buck, great show today. You're getting better and better, unlike other people who recently acquired a TV show whose radio shows have suffered. Thank you, Aries. I got to tell you, because I have a very different style of TV show in the morning, when I get the opportunity, when I get the chance to get on radio and just be me at night, I- I'm I'm extra fired up about it now. You know, because I, I got to look, I got to do a little delicate dance in the morning. I got to be a little, uh, little, what's the word? Some of you are yelling out words right now that I probably don't want to hear. Uh, a little open-minded, a little bit polite. Uh, and at uh, On the Buck Saxon Show, it's just Buck Saxon. I get to be me and talk to all of you, so I love it. Kelly, next up here. As far as the Russian meddling goes, I haven't heard anyone defending the intelligence of the American people. Facebook ads and tweets are nothing new to us. With every single election, lies and half-truths are spread by opposing candidates, Although most Americans are not experts when it comes to politics, we do know to look deeper than social media posts to determine who gets our votes. This whole fiasco angers me because it appears, as usual, that the powers that be think we, the citizens, are naive and stupid. We are not stupid, and Donald Trump won the election because we are sick and tired of politicians running this country into the ground. We wanted to make America great again, and it had nothing to do with Russia or anyone else posting silly Facebook ads. Thank you for letting me vent. Well, Kelly, thank you for giving words to what a lot of us are thinking. This notion that they were able to turn the election, change the outcome of the election with a few Facebook ads and some Russian trolls, this is just, it's completely crazy. But even beyond that, it is insulting. Uh, As though, you know, some fake news story about Pizzagate or something was the reason Hillary lost Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. That is not, not to mention Florida and Ohio. Uh, that is not what happened. And, you know, the Democrats haven't given up on this because ultimately they can't accept that after eight years of Obama, there was a repudiation of left wing progressivism that 
progressivism has not won, that there is, in fact, an opposition ideologically to what is going on in this country on the left. And they just they completely and utterly they reject it. They will not be okay with it. And I think that that's what's what is driving so much of the opposition right now. Brian, next up here. Have you uh, heard you talking about books you're reading as wonder and wondering if you could put on your website a recommended reading list? Brian, uh, we are in the process of revamping BuckSexton.com right now. I do want to have up a books section that I can refer people to. Uh, and you know, right now I'm I'm reading a book uh, on Cortez, uh, the Conquistador, which I uh, highly recommend to you. Uh, I, I think it's it's by Buddy Levy, actually. Conquistador uh, Hernan Cortez, King Montezuma, and the Last Stand uh, of the Aztecs is the book by Buddy Levy. I'm reading right now on the conquistadors uh on, on the conquest and, and it is it is excellent i gotta tell you it is it is a very uh very good book and i'm i'm pleased with it i i would tend to hesitate to usually get a book without a real recommendation from someone by a guy named buddy but then again my name is buck so who am i to who am i to judge who am i to judge uh so i hope you like that book i also read red notice recently by browder and trying to think what else i you know i read frankenstein some months ago which i was never assigned in school gotta tell you not great has nothing to do with the movie and frankenstein the one you think of not great the only frankenstein i've ever seen in pop culture or in any kind of theatrical experience that was anywhere near the frankenstein monster of well as you know i know you're a bug it's not though i know no, no, no. is anywhere near the frankenstein novel about dr frankenstein and the demon, as it is often referred to in the book, it is not it's not the Frankenstein monster, but the uh, the only thing that I've ever seen that ever pays any real attention to the uh, original novel was uh, by Mary Shelley was uh, the Cinemax series uh, Penny Dreadful. The 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 Dr. Frankenstein and his monster or the demon, as it's referred to in that is not out of the book, but at least there's some similarities to it. And if you see that, I thought Penny Dreadful had some great stuff. I mean, it was overall, the last season was bad, which was a shame because it was the Dracula season, but the overall Penny Dreadful story arc I thought was actually pretty good. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, all right, next up here, we have Candy Rights. Hey, Buck, I love your show. Thank you for reading the poignant piece by the five-year-old cancer patient who had written his own obituary. Kudos, because you got through it without totally choking up, although your voice did get a little thick toward the end. After complaining of headaches for several weeks, which is, uh, his pediatrician thought were related to his sinuses, my grandson Sam was diagnosed with brain cancer just before his fifth birthday. Over the next two years, he underwent several surgeries, chemo, and radiation. During this trying time, he became fascinated with Captain America and just had to have all the action figure stuff we could get him. In the attached photo, he's wearing his Captain America costume. Note the shield while waiting for the doors to open for a Halloween party at his children's hospital in Oregon. Thanks to the grace of God, the skilled and dedicated staff at Dornbecker Hospital and the support of Captain America, Sam will be celebrating his 11th birthday this August 9th. Shield tie, Ken, in Washington. Ken, that is a, a beautiful story and great news. Uh, and Ken sent me here a photo 
uh, a photo of his his grandson when he's fighting the cancer, and then a photo now where he just looks great and you know totally healthy. And God bless, man. I'm I'm so happy that uh, you know your your grandson won his fight, pulled through, and has a long and and uh, and joyous life ahead of him now. Uh, it's always you know you gotta remember the important stuff. I think yesterday in particular, people were just so wrapped up in. And what really doesn't have, I'm just going to say it, it, you know, it, it doesn't have that much to do with them. It, it's just not worth it. What really matters to you is your day-to-day, you know, how you act, who you are, how you treat people, what you're accomplishing, how you're helping others. That's, that's the stuff that matters. And we all know this. And we all need to remind each other of this. Uh, I've often said that, you know, kindness is your first obligation or kindness is our first obligation. And in, in these particularly politically heated moments, I, I just find that, Look, we can all use the reminder. You know, we can all take a moment to sit back and say, you know what? Uh, let's think about some inspiring stories here, like young Sam, for example, who beat cancer, and and how important it is to love the ones around us, and how, my friends, everything is temporary. All of us are temporary here on Earth. So, excuse me for uh, the digression there, but uh, again, a, a really important story. Ken, thank you for sharing. Jonathan, next up here. Hey, Buck, you just made mention about transgender and dating apps, and it's very easy to ensure you're going to get what it is you're looking for. In your profile, all you have to do is state if you prefer male or female organs, then it doesn't matter what they call themselves, you'll still end up getting what it is you're looking for. Hey, and they, if they don't fit the profile, you won't have to worry about being called a bigot because you clearly stated you prefer uh, just my two cents. Hope those two texts will not fail me. Shields high, uh, uh, my friend Jonathan. Uh, you know, Jonathan, it shouldn't have to be at that place, but I think it is getting to that place. And I'm telling you, you can you can start the countdown clock. You will start. You will see more articles now. You've already had actors now can't play transgender actors. That's no longer allowed because of Scarlett Johansson. But you will see people who shame others uh, because they will not state that they are or are not, are not okay with being attracted to someone who claims to be, you know, so a heterosexual cannot say, I only want to date women who are actually biologically women. That's going to be called bigoted and closed-minded. It's already, it's going to happen. It's already happened a little bit, but it'll become a much more wide. Just like 10 years ago, if you said the left will be arguing that 13-year-olds can use you know, the, the, the girl's locker room, if they're a boy, if they think they're a girl, and they would have said that was crazy. Well, that, that's now official. It was official Obama administration policy. So I, I tend to have a pretty good track record on predicting this stuff. Uh, just putting that out there. Jenna writes, my top three favorite things about daily listening to the Buck Sexton show. Three, you enthusiastically say this is your favorite part of the day. Well, it's mine too, via podcast. Two, My two-year-old cheers, Team Buck, Team Buck. Well, that's awesome. Thank you very much, Jenna. Number one, Team Buck gives me hope that there are other conservatives, most of all yourself, who can articulate truth, news, and interesting facts. Thank you, and the montages are great. Keep them coming. Well, thank you, Jenna, for the very kind message here on Roll Call. Certainly brighten up my day. That's going to be it for us here in the hut for tonight. I will see or talk to you all tomorrow, same time as always, no matter what. Shields high.